Chapter 4 The God Touched Horses pulled the large carriage north in the center of Ournay. Ahead of us were the vast stone walls of Merdul that I had only dreamed of seeing. They protected the city, or at least that's what I was made to believe. My uncle always talked about how the walls around Merdul were meant to keep the people in, rather than to keep anything out. The duchies who ran the city ruled it with an iron fist, with the arena that sat in the center the symbol of their dominance. Crimes in Merdul were punished the same way. Everyone who broke the law was sentenced to the arena, where they would eventually die underneath an aura of a thunderous applause. I envied it, and I hoped at some point I would be able to see it. All the stories that I heard growing up with my family in Brex and spending time with my uncle piqued my curiosity about Merdul. I had heard about the fabulous cities in Urne and how unique it was, but Merdul was where I truly wanted to go. Nocier's famed port to the northeast was a draw, and before it sank, Ryle was full of culture and trade, but Merdul was where I truly wanted to go. Now, after some time with my uncle, I was finally entering through the walls of the famed city. Dusk was coming over the city and the streets were starting to unload, but the grandeur was not lost on the time of day. I was already in love with the city, and I had only just arrived. Everything is as it should be, announced my uncle from the front of the carriage. He glanced out the window as the carriage slowed down. He pointed toward a large building and nodded. That is where we will be staying tonight, Mithair. I looked forward as the carriage passed the inn. Where are we going? I asked curiously. I was expecting the carriage to come to a stop and for us to unload for the night, but my uncle Demerics had other ideas. He shook his head and sighed weakly. I've got something to show you, he stated softly, almost as if he hadn't taken in enough air. I'll tell you more when we get there. It wasn't like my uncle to keep things from me. I didn't think much of it, but I could tell something was on his mind and I knew it would be okay. A lot had happened in the world over the past few months and his business had shifted dramatically. Following the descent of Brile into the depths by Xylene, the shipping channels had become a lot more passive. Captains and crew alike were wondering when Xylene's next attack would be. They collectively wondered if it would be one of their ships to be brought down into the sea next, though that was never the case. I didn't know it then, but later on, I learned that Xylene was being punished quite severely for interfering with the natural order of Dunai by Vesia. Destroying Brile and drowning thousands of people was not the problem. It was that he facilitated their souls not reaching Vesia that was. However, all of the large ocean vessels were moving much slower. They tried to stay as close to the scattered islands in the sea as possible. The fear of Xylene outweighed expedient travels. The carriage pulled to a stop as the moons shone through the windows. My uncle, far more pale than I had ever seen him before, closed his eyes and composed himself. Look, I hate to ask my nephew to do this for me, but you've got such a gift that I feel it would be foolish to allow someone else to do this, he said softly. I've had a contact with three of the duchies here in Merdul for quite some time. While they do not know that I work with the others, they're suspicious that I am always out to turn a profit, no matter the cost. However, I take care of them very lucratively, and they do the same for me. But that is not the matter. Here is, though. I suspect one of the families is being taken over by one of the gods. I can't stop it if they are, but I can shift my business elsewhere. Demarix paused briefly and caught his breath. I could tell he was laboring, and I was beginning to think he needed to seek out a doctor. Uncle, are you all right? I inquired after noticing his struggle. I'll be fine, Nathair, but thank you, he affirmed. I need you to head into the sewers and travel beneath Merdul to the estate. Once you're there, see what is going on for me so that I can take care of the coffers. That is what truly matters in the end. I chuckled and nodded. So you want me to do what I always do for you, I asked, referring to the many incidents where I've done reconnaissance for him. It all began in Sunshire, but since Brow sank, my uncle had sent me to Shorek, Teardret, Malor, Theorak, 
and dories to scout out information for him. I was his most useful soldier and tool, and I was going to be put to use. I'll take care of it, Uncle Demerix, I said. But where am I going? Demerix glanced to the east and pointed. Keep going east and you'll find your way there. There will be a few inclines on your path, but you'll eventually make it to the estate. He took in another breath, this time much more shallow than any of his previous ones that evening. He reached into his pocket and pulled out a small blade. I hope you don't need this, but take it anyway. I'd hate to think of you going through the sewers of Merdul unarmed. I reached forward and grabbed the knife. It was very small and easily fit in my pocket, and upon holding it, I didn't know just how useful it would be. The Peralgia Estate is your destination, Nathair. Good luck, and I'll see you later this evening. I nodded softly and left the carriage quite quickly. I made my way beside it as it took off, giving me the opportunity to enter the sewer under the cover of night. I entered the sewer, just as I was asked to. Looking back, I should have requested that we simply go in through the front door, or at least leap over the fence. Going through the sewers of Merdul was disgusting, and not something I would advise anyone to do. It wasn't so much the smell or the abundance of filth that I believe is a mistake now, but everything else that lived in there. The creatures that resided in there were plentiful, but the vagrants and vagabonds that made their residence there were not a crew to be trifled with. I walked down the first stretch toward the Pirlagia estate. It was a large, narrow corridor with a sidewalk on both sides of a trench. The trench, which possessed a great deal of refuge and other gross contents, flowed freely towards the rivers, which I hope made its way to the ocean. I can't confirm that, but I really hope that's the case. I trudged along slowly, moving along the dimly lit sidewalk. Sconces along the street provided what little light that penetrated through the grates. While the two moons provided ample lighting on the surface, their rays were not enough to penetrate the streets of Merdul. The sconces were all that I had to light my path. One wrong step, and I would find myself knee-deep in the muck. At the end of the long pathway, the route forked in two directions. I glanced over to the left to see the water and waste traveling down a large, straight drop into a channel. To the right, I noticed two vagrants sitting down against the wall, one on each side of the path. They hadn't noticed me yet, but I could see that the two of them appeared harmless. Both were eating some food that they acquired while on the streets, and were sitting under one of the few patches of light in the sewer. I moved toward them, making sure to step loudly enough so that they wouldn't be alarmed at my presence. An adolescent boy walking through the sewers is not something that anyone would see every day. The first vagrant turned his head as I approached. The sound of my footsteps alerted him of my presence long before I reached there. What's this? he asked. Boy, are you lost? My words escaped me as I kept walking, but unfortunately, the vagrant was blocking my path. In order to go by, I would either have to step over him or trudge through the sewer waste. Um... I stammered, unable to give him an answer. I wasn't prepared to find people in the sewers. My uncle didn't prepare me for that part. I... I'm just passing through, I said. Passing through to where? Asked the same vagrant. The sewers are not some road you travel through. That's what, well, roads are for. Maybe he's been cast out down here, announced the other vagrant. Perhaps he has nowhere else to go. It's embarrassing to say that, I replied to the man across the stream. I'm still coming to grips with it. The vagrant in front of me chuckled and shook his head. What happened? Did your parents die and you didn't want to get taken in by the arena? My eyes widened at the sound of the arena. Well, no. Good, because the kids who they don't see as useful, they just feed them to the animals or sell them into slavery, continued the vagrant. I didn't want that life for me, and I've been down here for years. Same here. I've been forced into this life because I didn't want to serve the consortium. Best decision I ever made, confirmed the other vagrant. Now I get all the food I can eat from the shops when they toss it, and I don't have to worry about dying in the arena. At least so long as I don't head to the surface for too long. I was taken aback by the vagrant. What? I inquired. Oh, you don't know? The homeless are arrested and forced to fight in the arena. 
The families of the duchy demand it, continued the vagrant. Weir and I saw in a threat to their way of life. We are a threat to the natural order in Merdul, so they would rather see us fight against one another than live a sustainable life. Well, you two look as if you're doing well for yourselves, I said as I tried to move past the man in front of me. The vagrant I was trying to pass held his hand up and shook his head. Wait now, why are you trying to go that way? Maybe he knows something we don't, the other vagrant interjected. Do you know of a new food dump? Or is there someone offering jobs to those who reside away from society? I don't know anything about that, I said as I took a short step away from the vagrant in front of me. He placed his feet beneath him and used the wall for leverage. He limped slightly as he stood on his two feet, though I noticed him favoring the right leg a lot more than the left. Across the stream, the other vagrant rose to his feet as well, though he was a lot quicker and more agile. Perhaps I can be going now, I continued. The vagrant laughed and placed his right hand on my shoulder, almost in a menacing way. I felt immediately uneasy about the situation and I was beginning to feel threatened. I don't think you're going to be going anywhere, lad. You've got enough meat on your bones to last us for a few days. Oh, so that's what you're after, I muttered dejectedly before taking action. I knew that wasting time would only allow the man across the stream to come after me and get in a more advantageous position. With the man's hand on my shoulder, I reached up and grabbed his wrist. I spun his arm over and turned him around before driving my knee into his ribs from behind. His body slammed into the stone wall next to the sidewalk. His chest went flush against the stone, allowing me to grab his shoulder and toss him face first into the waist between the sidewalks. The other vagrant stood with his legs spread and his arms open, preparing to grapple or wrestle me. It didn't matter. His chest was exposed and I saw my opening. I leapt forward and planted my right foot on the back of the vagrant in the waist, pushing his body down into the filth and sprung myself toward the idiot vagrant. I raised my right foot and drove it into the sternum of the exposed vagrant, knocking him back into the wall where his head slammed against the stone. He fell forward and landed in the waist on top of the other vagrant, where the blood pooling from his head was filling the trench. I reached into my pants and pulled out the small knife my uncle gave me. I gripped the handle firmly and knelt down on the sidewalk. I had never plunged a blade into anyone or anything, but I knew that taking their lives was the only way to ensure my safety. I exhaled softly and sighed before driving the blade into the side of each man's skull. I stood up and glanced down to the other end of the path. Great, I can't leave them here, I stated while staring at the drop. I reached out and grabbed each man by their arms to pull them through the waist. Fortunately, the filth lubricated the ground, making it easier to pull them toward the edge. Once there, I pushed each one over and watched them descend into the shadowy darkness. It's an awful long way down. I muttered before turning and beginning my journey again toward the estate. After several minutes in the sewer, I reached the ladder that would lead me up to my destination. I climbed the metal rungs and pushed up the grate. I emerged in the streets on the other side of the city and the crisp, dry air was a welcome addition. I took a deep breath, enjoying the clean scent as I pulled myself out of the filth beneath me. Much better, I exclaimed gleefully after making my exit from the sewer. With my feet firmly on the stone ground, I gazed out into the courtyard to see a carriage coming in through a set of iron gates. I moved away from the sewer grate and over to the shadows where I could watch, just as I always did. I held my gaze on the iron gates and watched the carriage come into the courtyard with a shadowy figure walking beside it. From afar, I immediately saw two swords resting in a cross on her back. On her waist were a few smaller knives and her clothes fit snugly around her hips. Her brown hair hung down slightly past her shoulders and was tied with a bow at the end. Above her neck, on the back of her head, was a purple barrette, which I suspected also held another dagger. While the carriage pulled up, I heard the doors to the manor open abruptly, drawing my attention to the other end of the courtyard. Giovanna, 
What took you so long to get here? Stated a man from inside the building with scorn. He emerged from the doorway as the woman took a few steps into the moonlight. I could finally get a better look at her. Her black trousers and silver shirt reflected the moonlight that illuminated the area. Her skin was slightly tanned and she appeared to be quite fit. The man took a few steps into the courtyard to show himself as a portly man with a bald head and a round frame. He was sweating as the beautiful woman approached him. I was told you would be fast. And I was told that Ebelus wouldn't be in Merdul along with Adjutica. She responded angrily. Gervania seethed as the old man stood perfectly still, almost in fear of the woman. She exhaled loudly and shook her head slowly. I was under the impression that I wouldn't be dealing with any other god-touched Dielus. The older man motioned his hands in front of him while nodding softly. He was trying to diffuse what was turning into a tense encounter. He was quite fearful of the woman and he should have been. Gervania was a god-touched follower of Malaris, the god of chaos, though she began her journey originally as a follower of Valkus. The manner in which she carried herself and the fear that she put the head of one of the families in Merdul under was tremendous. No matter, Gervania, were you able to bring me the goods? Gervania scoffed before a smile came across her face. Just because I had to evade being seen by my contemporaries doesn't mean I didn't arrive with your belongings. Dielus clapped his hands gleefully as Gervania motioned for him to follow her to the back of the carriage. He sauntered through the courtyard toward the rear door with Gervania moving a bit slower. Dielus was very excited about what was waiting for him in the carriage, and I was wondering if there was a trap waiting for him. No one should be that excited over something coming to them, but I also didn't know this man and never would. Upon opening the carriage door, Dielus was taken aback by the contents, or lack thereof. Instead of what he sent Gervania after, there was an empty carriage waiting for him. What is the meaning of this? He shouted as he turned around, only to find Gervania there with her hand up. Her eyes glowed a bright purple as a purple mist emerged from the tips of her fingers. The mist traveled through the air and reached the nostrils of Dielus. He breathed in the mist and immediately collapsed to the ground, still breathing, but limp. The driver of the carriage leapt off of the top and walked back to Gervania. Madam, what will you have me do with him? Gervania placed her hands on her hips and stared down at the body. Malaris has a plan for him still, and he's better left to us alive. Get him inside the manor and he will be dealt with later. Of course, madam replied the driver. He leaned down and hoisted the portly man up over his shoulders and carried him into his home. I stood my ground in the shadows with Gervania marching around the carriage. The gates to the residence were open, though for how much longer, I didn't know. However, they were open long enough for a man wearing white, silver, and gray to walk in unopposed or bothered. And what is the god of chaos's plan for that man, Gervania? inquired the man as he stepped toward the god-touched follower of Malaris. Gervania hung her head and sighed before chuckling. Ebelus, I don't know the plans and dreams of my master, just as you don't know the plans of yours, she retorted sarcastically with a wry smile. Ebelus Mertrand, God-touched follower of Vesia, stood in front of Gervania. His spear and shield rested on his back and he appeared calm and unthreatening. He was confident, yet remarkably cautious. Though he didn't hold his weapon, I knew it wouldn't take long for him to arm himself. I didn't know much about him at the time, but since that encounter, I've learned how he is the right hand of Vesia, a soldier and servant with a purpose of maintaining the balance on Dunai. More specifically, his job on Dunai was to ensure that the God-touched servants did not get out of line. He is not someone to cross, though he would never go out and search for issues either. Gervania took a non-aggressive step toward Vesia's soldier. Why would the goddess take issue with any plan of my master? Ebelus scoffed while watching the young woman approach him. Because it's quite difficult to trust your master, Gervania. He's always scheming up something, just like his brother. Dorilius? inquired Gervania sarcastically. 
Yes, you should most definitely spend your time investigating the god of intellect. His archivists and scholars are clearly up to no good. Evelus laughed and folded his arms across his chest. You're probably right, but I'm referring to his other brother. Oh, that bastard. I try not to think of him too terribly much, especially after he had another god killed, replied Gervania. Darian's business is never something that I bother myself with, and I try not to as well, but he is a bit more open about his shenanigans. Malus? He tends to stay a bit more in the shadows, retorted Eblis as he locked eyes with Gervania. Now, I'm here in Merdul, enjoying myself in a pub with a Judica before we head to the arena, when I see an out-of-place carriage traveling through the streets. The driver of the carriage, well, his scales were a little out of place, so I felt compelled to follow it. Ajudica stayed behind and honestly, probably finished my drink for me. What a shame, interrupted Gervania. You should probably head back and ask him to buy you the next round before the fight starts. Ebelus sighed loudly. No, I think I've got enough here to keep my thirst quenched, he countered while shifting his attention from the god touch to the carriage. Perhaps you could go and fetch me the driver. I'd like to have a word with him about some of his decisions he's made in life. Dravania raised her hand and waved it toward her adversary. I don't think that's necessary, Evelis, she stated defensively. He's just a driver. Why would his scales matter? Are you sure? It wouldn't surprise me if Malaris had something going on without even you knowing it, replied Evelis. He stepped past her toward the carriage when a ruffling from the top of the carriage grabbed his attention. The driver of the carriage poked his head up, almost as if he were asleep. He locked eyes with Evelis as he grabbed his spear from the holster on his back. Evelis's eyes glowed a bright silver as he stared at the driver, only for him to immediately place his spear back into its holster and his eyes to revert back to normal. There is something at play here, he muttered before looking away from the driver and back to Gervania. Your god is up to something. That is not the driver that I saw earlier. Gervania averted her eyes and shook her head, glancing back at the driver and smiling warmly at the man. I think you should have kept drinking, old friend. Perhaps you should head back and make sure the lost god touched is keeping to himself and not causing a ruckus. Ebelus glanced back at Giovanni and nodded. Perhaps my senses are a bit dulled, though that's unlikely. He seethed before turning around. Stay safe and stay within the boundaries of the scales, Giovanni. I'd hate for our next encounter to be a bit more violent. I'd hate for you to have any more encounters with me, whether peaceful or otherwise, scoffed Giovanni. She took in a deep breath of the cool air as I kept watch, noticing that something was bothering her. She clasped her hands together and flailed them in the air. Why do you do what you do, Ebelus? Why do you take your stand beside that winch? She exclaimed loudly, prompting Evelis to halt and face her. He exhaled softly. The fog from his nostrils filled the air around his face. Why do I do what? He asked curiously. Why do you insist on serving that wench? I asked. Confirmed Giovanni as she took a step toward the servant of Vesia. She reached up and placed her hand on his shoulder and slid it up to his cheek. She stared into his eyes and glanced down with her fingers caressing his jawline. You could serve a different master and live your life as your own. You don't have to be her puppet. You don't have to be a slave to the scales. Ebelus smiled and reached up with his left hand. He placed it on top of her hand and pulled her closer to him. He gently placed his lips on hers before holding his head right beside hers. I choose this life because she chose me, he uttered before stepping away. He held onto her hand while keeping his eyes locked on hers. Why don't you tell me about you, Dravania? Are you alright? Dravania smirked before looking away from Ebelus. Not particularly, but here I am standing before you instead of wasting away at the bottom of the ocean. Evelis squeezed her hand lightly as she took in a breath of the cool air. Thousands of people died that day and I could only save a handful of them. You saved my nephew, interjected Evelis, prompting Giovanni to glance up and look at Evelis with scorn. But I couldn't save your sister and now she is either forced to live out attorney fighting off Naga every day or she's found herself inside Sierra's bastion, cried Giovanni. 
Eblis remained calm while Giovanni became more upset. My sister is fine, and her situation is only temporary, reasoned Eblis. As for Latros, I'm glad he's alive, but I worry that there is something within him that cannot be tamed. I worry that he was gifted with his father's ambition. Giovanni is smirked. I don't think Latros has the skills of his father, though. Latros is a unique creature to deny, Gervania, began Ebelus with a hint of concern buried within his voice. You and I are both God-touched servants. Where you were given your abilities by Valkus, you chose to follow another master. You serve Malarus willingly, and as such, possess some of his knowledge as well. You're able to fuse the abilities of the Forge Master and the God of Chaos. I don't need an explanation about who or what I am, Ebelus, quipped Gervania harshly. Ebelus closed his eyes and nodded softly. I'm making a point, I promise, he said with a slight drive in his voice. Latros is like you. He possesses power from two different sources. His father is Malarus, your god, and his mother is my sister, a god-touched servant of Essia. I'm still not seeing what you're trying to suggest, continued Gervania. There is a reason why my sister and I cannot change masters, just like there is a reason why no god-touched can acquire the knowledge of Essia, explained Ebelus. To possess the power to manipulate essence as Malarus does is fine and is allowed. You do it, and you're quite good at it. The power of Vesia is not like any of the others. It is not simply to conjure or destroy essence. The power of Vesia is to break down each fiber or molecule of the essence to see just how it works. Evelis paused briefly as I continued to look on, enamored by what he was saying about Malarus's son. Given the time and the seasoning, there is no limitation to what Latros may be able to learn from the other gods. There is nothing to say that he cannot become far more powerful than any of us. Giovannius stared at Ebelus with a look of confusion, and I empathized with her. I was equally as confused, but I was also there to do a job for my uncle. Ebelus paused for a few moments and shrugged his shoulders nonchalantly while still holding on to Giovannius' hand. I know Malarus is trying to get a foothold here in Merdul, especially since Bryle has been submerged into the sea. I also know that Darien is trying to curry favor with one of the houses and so is Talgis. Dahar is trying to rebuild Yark while Xylene seethes out in his underwater temple. Both of them are licking their wounds right now, stated Evelus calmly. Valkus is the only god that I don't care to worry myself with right now and that's simply because Sierra is keeping her people close to Sunshire and Phalaris has his own issues to worry with. Gervania nodded. It sounds like you're a bit bitter right now. Perhaps you would want to talk about it? Evelus took in a deep breath and nodded softly. Judica is waiting for me at the pub. Then I'll have a drink with the two of you, continued Gervania with a wry grin. My task here is done anyway. Malarus will have a subordinate planted here in Merdul, and I'm free to do as I choose until he needs me again. Ebelus sighed heavily as I looked on, finally hearing her say what I was sent to find out. Malarus was planting someone to do his bidding, which would ultimately interrupt my uncle's business. Come on then, I'm sure Judica would love your company, stated Ebelus as he held his arm out for Gervania. She reached forward and intertwined her arm at his elbow and left the courtyard arm in arm. I couldn't tell if they were friends, enemies, or even lovers. I learned that night that God touched were a unique class of people. My experiences with them were still very limited, but I found myself curious about the relationships they had with one another. It was almost as if they had a clique amongst themselves, and while they served a God, they also kept up with one another. I was very curious about it, though I did not have time to look into it that evening. I had other pressing things to deal with. I made it back to my uncle's room at the inn, though I refused to travel back through the sewers. I exited through the front gate and remained perfectly hidden while I ventured through the dusty streets of Merdul. A light fog had settled over the city while the sound of the cheers coming from the arena muffled any noise that I was making. The streets were vacant of people, which made my journey very easy. I opened the door to find my uncle laying in bed with a few pieces of parchment at his side. 
This was unusual for him, as he would typically toil into the night and wake up a little bit after the sun rose. Uncle Demerics, I said lightly, only for one of the servants to come and place their hand on my shoulder. Nathair, your uncle will hear your message in the morning. He needs his sleep, said the servant as I glanced over to him. I shifted back to see that my uncle hadn't moved. With a slight nod, I turned from his chamber and allowed the servant to close the door behind me. Nathair, we will be leaving in the morning to the harbor. You can tell your uncle everything while we are en route. I went to bed shortly thereafter, and when I woke, my uncle had already been taken by carriage to Jitala, where the boat was waiting for him. Fortunately, a smaller carriage was waiting on me to take me to the port. I made it out of Mertul and down to the city of Jitala, where my uncle's ship had already been loaded and they were waiting for me to arrive. I got out of the carriage and ran up the gangplank, nodding to the sailors that it was safe to depart. We rowed the boat back to Wurz with my uncle's cough getting worse. I was sitting alone on the deck, leaning forward while watching the water beneath the ship being pushed to the side. The white caps formed as the waves crested relaxed me, but also brought about a sense of understanding. Everything that is created, at some point and no matter how large, will return back to serenity. No creation of essence can escape the judgment of Vesia, and upon reflecting at the front of the ship, I realized that my uncle's time for judgment was near. Master Nathair, stated one of the crewmen, the one responsible for my uncle's quarters. He tapped me on my right shoulder and I turned to face him. I'm afraid he's taken a turn toward the halls. I nodded slowly and removed myself from my perch at the front of the ship. The wind was blowing against my face as the boat continued on toward Wurz, though I was now sure that my uncle would never see the sanding buildings of Kor again. I turned away from the front of the boat and approached the door that led down into the cabin. I reached forward and placed my hand on the brass knob before turning it and pulling the door open. The small flight of stairs before me led down into a large hallway where my uncle's chamber was the first door on the right. I made it to the door and stood in front of it, collecting my thoughts before deciding to go in. I had been down this road before and far more recent than I cared to remember. Thoughts of my mother's final moments were coming back, thoughts that I believed to have suppressed long ago. After a few seconds, I opened the door to reveal my uncle on the bed. His skin was very pale and his breasts were shallow. His time on Dunai was coming to an end. Oh, you don't look that bad, I announced with a forced grin as I came into the room. My uncle did not move nor react to my sarcasm. It was not like him to not smirk or at least pay attention to my snide remarks. The man before me was no longer my uncle. He was simply a husk wanting to let go. I never said a prayer before that moment, nor ever gave thought to the gods besides cursing Xylene for simply existing. However, it was then that I closed my eyes and bowed my head solemnly. Vesia, I do not know if you can hear me or if you even care, but if you can, please see to it that my uncle is treated properly at the scales. He is a good man who has done great things, and I hope when his time before you comes, you are able to see him for how I see him. It was at that moment that my uncle's heart stopped beating. Upon his death, grief overtook me just as it did a few years earlier with my mother. The man who took me in and made me what I had become shuffled off to the scales, leaving me alone in Dunai again. I tended to his body just as he wanted. He was placed in a boat and cast off to the sea. The body that provided him with much success in life deserved its reward. Weights were tied to the bottom and were released at a certain place, allowing for the boat and my uncle to descend into the depths so that his body could be claimed by the fish and other creatures of the sea. The fleet of ships were docked in one of the harbors of Wurz. The sailors and merchants were left waiting for their orders as we all mourned the loss of my uncle. We all turned to Germania, my uncle's most trusted advisor and his oldest friend. However, while he was prepared to keep the business afloat, he had business with me first. Master Nathair, may I have a word with you? asked Germinia as he motioned for me to follow him off to one of the side rooms. 
He held open the door and ushered me in, where a portly man sat behind a large desk with a large piece of parchment in front of him. Germinia closed the door to the room and nodded to the man behind the desk. Nathair, I'd like for you to meet Jarovsk, a local attorney here in Words. It's a pleasure to meet you, Mr. Matralis, greeted Jarovsk with a smile and a nod. My condolences on the passing of your uncle. I understand he loved you deeply. I smiled and nodded at the portly man. I don't know if he loved me, but I do know that I loved him like a father. Don't you have one of those? asked Jarovsk playfully. I believe Tuberic would be taken aback if his son decided to disown him now. Germinia laughed loudly, leaving me standing against the chair confused. I'm sorry, but... Jarovsk turned toward Germinia and tilted his head slightly. He doesn't know, does he? Germinia shook his head and motioned at the parchment on the desk. I guess Demerics decided to keep a few secrets from the lad after all, continued Jarovsk. He clasped his hands and turned toward me, staring me in the eyes with a warm and comforting gaze. Nathair, I guess I'm the person who gets to tell you the good news. Your uncle has left you with all of his estate, including his business interests across Dunai. No, I stammered, shocked. Why would he leave this to me? He has no one else, Nathair. He has no heirs or other loved ones. When your father dumped you on him, he promised me that he would look after you as if you were his own. When he knew it was right, he made sure Jaros dictated in his will that you were to be left with everything. He paused while I took it all in. I was suddenly in charge of a massive fleet of seafaring ships and other possessions. I inherited his possessions and his clout. I now had what my father craved. However, he did leave a few instructions, Nathair. He wanted me to stay on with you and for my heirs to stay on as well. We are to assist with the business as we have for generations, working in tandem with you and your heirs as we maintain our vast network. I nodded slowly at Germinia. He was right. I would need his help to keep everything moving. I wasn't like Philaus. Though I loved my uncle, I didn't obsess over his every move to learn what I needed to about the business. I kept enough distance to give him space. A knock on the door drew my attention away from Germinia and Jarovsk. I shifted my gaze over to the door as a young lady emerged from the hallway carrying a scroll. Master Matralis, you've received a letter from Brex, she announced upon entering the room. Germinia and Jarovsk sighed heavily as she placed the rolled scroll in my hand. I was informed that it is quite urgent. I figured it would take Tuberic a little bit longer to send for you, quipped Germinia as a smirk came over his face. He's probably hoping that he can consolidate the two companies into one. Brex has lost its allure in the shipping business and is now more of a haven for crime and filth, inserted Jarovsk. I unrolled the scroll and opened it up. Nathair, congratulations on your recent acquisition of our extended family's property. I've sent a carriage to bring you home to Brex where we can discuss your role in the family moving forward. I look forward to seeing you, son. I placed the scroll on Jarovsk's desk with the courier still standing in the room. Tell the driver I will be out there shortly, I commanded the young lady. She turned and immediately left the room with both Jarovsk and Germinia surprised. I will entertain what my father wants before returning to Wurz. I will make sure that he will have no part in what my uncle has built. Germinia chuckled. Are you sure you can tell him no? I closed my eyes and collected my thoughts for a brief moment. I had never stood up to my father and I gave in to his demands when I was younger. I tried to avoid the conflict and I tended to stay close to my mother. I'll be fine, I responded quietly with a soft exhale. Nathair Matralis no longer exists. Nathair Varent does. We would like to thank everyone for listening to this podcast. More content will be coming out on a regular basis. For more on By Gods and Kings, please visit www.bygodsandkings.com or www.scriptcrypt.com.